You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. You're listening to the Pull Box Podcast. The International Graphic Novel Book Club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Hello and welcome back to the Pull Box Podcast. This is our 13th episode and we have got some awesome books for you this week. I am one of your, sorry, this month. Yep. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen. And I'm the other host, Curtis Finley. Uh, and uh, and we, we've got three... Uh, really good books. Really good books. It was. It was. I think this was one of our stronger months. Actually, um, we've got uh, my pick was Telos Colossal Volume One uh, by Todd Dezago and Mike Waringo. Uh, Curtis uh, pulled uh, the Wrenchies by Farrell Darlimple. Dalrymple. One of the best I, names in comics. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. You're definitely not going to confuse him with someone else. Uh, both the content and his name. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and then we've got uh, uh, what I would consider a classic, Superman for All Seasons, uh, by uh, by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Uh, so good stuff all around. Uh, did we have anything that we wanted to talk about before we jump right into the comics? Um, I, I don't know. I don't uh, Van Calf was recently. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, uh, when we get into the Wrenchies. But uh, that's uh, uh, the Vancouver Comic Arts Festival. Um, what was uh, was last weekend as of recording this, and uh, and so uh, you know I I got the chance to to uh, talk to Tony uh, Tony Cliff, uh, the artist and writer behind uh, uh, Delilah Dirk, one of our favorites. Yeah, who we had as a guest star yeah, a yeah, few months yeah, ago. Who came on the podcast, um, so I got to catch up with him a little bit, talk to him a little bit about about uh, volume two. Of uh, of Delilah Dirk and and so we're we're hotly anticipating that and I, I basically bought everything that he had at his <laughs> at his table. I'm sure um, he appreciates yeah, that. Yeah, uh, uh, and got to see some other really cool art. It was it was interesting. It's not you know it's funny because it's not really my scene. You know, like I think you probably would have enjoyed yourself. You would have you would have needed like the full two days to sort of go to everybody's table. Yeah, I and, went there last year to everyone, and but, I loved it and. Um, I, I I ran into a friend of mine who I didn't know did comics, and uh, does picked up one of his books. And he, he does an awesome, really great illustrator, good story. And then I saw who who was it? Um, uh, yeah, Tony was there last year as well, and he, his table was the busiest out of all of them. Yeah. And, and uh, I bought a book from Kickstarter um, about Nilvana, one of the very first. Canadian superheroes from the 40s yep. when American comics weren't allowed in Canada because of the paper shortage. Um, and she was uh, she, the editor of that book who had restored all those comics was there promoting her work. And so I got to talk cool. to her. But yeah, it, it is. A, it's a great scene. Yeah. A little bit more underground. Definitely. Um, it's more it's more of like the sort of handmade 
uh, a little mini zine yeah. comics than it is the you know I, I'm a I'm a superhero yeah. guy so that's, that's oh and my thing, um, Marv Newland was there last year he's an animator a local animator who did uh-huh. um, the classic um, short film Bambi versus Godzilla okay. have you seen yeah. that before yes. yeah. Um, yeah and he's he's done some incredible work so I bought a DVD of his stuff last oh, cool. year yeah so oh. it's it's a it's a really neat place. Um, yeah. if you are in Vancouver and get to see it next yeah. year, I'd yeah. recommend it. Yeah, sure. I recommend it. It's I mean, free it's, yeah, to get it's, in. It's free admission, so uh, which is genius because then you just walk in and, and spend, spend all your money, money on, on all of the different arts. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I walked away with some really cool stuff uh, and uh, and could have spent probably $100 easily on random yeah. prints and, and bookmarks and, well, and then the thing I like and stuff like that. The thing I like about Van Calf is that the attitude is so different there than going to a different comic convention. Yeah. Um, whereas you're looking for deals or you're looking for specials or b- yeah. going through back issue bins or trying to like find the celebrities or whatever. Van Calf is more about the artists yeah. um, and supporting local talent and, yeah. and that kind of thing. So I, yeah. uh, it, it's just nice to, to be yeah. in that kind of environment. and we've got we've got such a great community because because van calf manages to bring together the local vancouver community but a lot of people actually also come up from seattle and seattle has a really cool yeah comic community as well they so sure do. um so yeah there was a lot of really cool stuff in next year uh, it's usually like that the the last weekend of uh or, or of a second last weekend of, of may of may so yeah. uh so if people are interested in checking that out in the future they should yeah, uh, but uh, but it was really cool. Um, and then this weekend is Northwest Fan Fest. Yes, this weekend is Northwest Fan Fest. And are, you're involved in that a little bit? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've got I have three panels at it. We did one yesterday for the Eight Bits of Destiny podcast. We've got one today for Quiver. Wow. Uh, that basically, I'm leaving this <laughs> after we record to go do that. Um, and then we've got one for the Rebels podcast tomorrow. So amazing. So yeah, so it's a full weekend. And last night you weren't involved at all with the, you. You were listening. But, I was listening, yeah. But no. you weren't part of the uh, Thunderquack roundtable that we yeah. did for all of you uh, Patreon uh, supporters. And if you want to be a part of these roundtables, uh, you should uh, <laughs> give a couple bucks to our Patreon yeah. site. Well, anybody can watch them, right? But uh, I, so because they're they're just kind of open to. It's just YouTube, so so anybody right. can pop on and watch. But but we do it as as sort of a. Uh, uh, it was uh, it was one of the tiers on Patreon, so it was a uh, right. That's sort of like with the support of everybody else, we're able to to do these. Oh, things. I see. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was, was great. And I talked with uh, Paul Gann from the Talking Time Lords podcast, which yep. is your newest, yeah, Thunderquack podcast. Yeah, right? all about Doctor Who. And uh, he's a great guy. I really like talking with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a it was a good conversation. I mean, I, I it was it was really nice and refreshing for a change to just sit back and listen to the conversation <laughs> yeah. and not have to be the one directing it or or worrying about it. Yeah. Um, uh, so so I appreciated that. I appreciate okay. you I, I, uh, hosting that. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. It was fun. I I enjoyed it a lot too. We talked about Daredevil, Netflix Daredevil, and uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we don't need to get into that now. Listen to the listen to that. No, that'll be <laughs> next month. We'll talk a lot about Netflix. Oh yeah. Though, okay, let's uh, <clears throat> let's get into our books. Here. Yeah, let's jump into jump into this month's books. So my poll for this month was Telos Colossal Volume One. Um, the Colossal Edition sort of collects the uh, the first story as well as as uh, there there's a couple there's a prelude comic and a prologue comic to the first the first volume 
Um, and, and the colossal, like I, if, if you ever saw Telos and were mildly interested or, uh, or, or were thinking about it, or you've even got, cause I have the issues I have, I have the, the, I believe I have the whole series in issues. Um, but you wanted a collected edition. These colossal ones are, are well worth, uh, uh, searching, seeking out because they are, I don't know, what would you say percentage wise? In uh, in in the size difference, because because uh, it's uh, got to be um, maybe a fifteen percent larger, yeah. larger or something um, like that. And uh, and and Mike Waringo's art, it just uh, shines. Yeah, with, uh, it, on those it deserves. Pages. Yeah, it deserves this kind of treatment because yeah. it's so brilliant. It's so vibrant. Um, yeah, I and, bought. Uh, yeah, I, um, I I love this edition. I have I have volume one and two, which is basically the whole series. I think. Cool. Yeah, it's got an interesting publication history, which we can talk yeah, about a little yeah, bit later. Yeah, um, uh, but it, basically, the story is uh, uh, you start off with uh, with these two characters, Jarek and Kaj, uh, who are uh, uh, I guess they're just kind of adventurers, right? Like we're not; it's not really clear uh, uh, what their what their background is, but they're they're on the run. They're wanted by. Uh, by you know whoever these bad guys are we don't really know at the beginning but they're being chased by frog soldiers and very quickly i i yeah. get sort of embroiled in a, in a in a much larger story um and it's it's sort of it's just your classic hero's journey um where they pick up characters as they go and uh, and you know uh, uh, find out what their what the big quest is and mm-hmm. uh, basically they they come across this amulet that has uh, a Dijin, a genie in it, and uh, I, that that genie uh, is is basically this guardian that's sort of it's foretold will you know uh, defeat evil. Uh, that that that's uh, the reason for his existence. So it's up to to our heroes as uh, to basically fulfill that prophecy and take down this evil Maliser. But uh, but there's a there's a twist that I totally spoiled last month. Um, <laughs> Uh, towards the end of the of the story, where you find out that actually, Telos is a world created within. Uh, it's Jared, right? Uh, uh, within his mind, uh, after he was in a a, a car accident, um, and that all of these characters are reflections of of his real uh, life. of his real of life, his real family, um, but. With a few additions. With a few additions, but at the same time, um, even though it's sort of created by his mind, it's it's no less real. And I think that that's one of the interesting things is that um, uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit last month, but uh, this is a common trope uh, in storytelling in comics and TV and movies. Uh, of, of the sort of idea of, of a person in a coma or or uh, some other sort of you know uh, uh, altered state I guess that that creates a world in their mind and uh, and and in order to basically come out of that that state they have to go through a hero's journey right they have to yeah. to, to accomplish some quest or goal Um but most of the time, it's sort of you get to the end, and it turns out that it was all a dream, and you're kind of like, "Oh, well, that's disappointing." But with Telos, I think the really cool thing is that the world persists, 
And uh, and uh, now, much like with Crimson, when I finished reading that, it's like, oh, now I want to read the next volume. So I probably <laughs> will. I I to to you know jump back in and and see where the story goes uh, after the ending because it kind of wraps itself up really nicely. Um, but it's uh, it's a lot like Star Wars. It's probably one of the reasons why I really like it uh, because it is that basic hero's journey. It is a self-contained story, but there are all these threads at the end of it that are that are that left you hanging. Yeah, that you go like, oh well, what was the deal with Hawk? Like because he dies kind of question mark <laughs> but not really right like there's something going on with that character and there's more definitely yeah more and they, to it right he keeps mentioning that there's more to the secret that he's been keeping yeah but he never yeah. actually says what they it is by, it. Yeah. when he when he dies so yeah so i and you've read the other volume uh i have but ago? not not for a long time like but, i said like i i picked these up in issues and this is a this is a, a <laughs> it's very i i it's I don't know like disconcerting for me to realize how old I'm getting when I think of a comic like this as being something that's older because I look at it and it's like it's all digitally colored. Yeah, what is it from? This, is it from the nineties? The late. 90s? Uh, it's from uh, I think it's from the late nineties. It's from that same era uh, as as um you know the 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 crimson and and that cliffhanger era. It's it's a uh, it's very similar uh, right uh, from a very similar time that's because that's when i was reading it it's from when i got back into comics um i'm trying to see uh this edition was published in 2007 but it doesn't i don't think it doesn't say when the original comics were published so and when did we're do, do spider-man that was mid 90s as well i think i believe that, that was, was like before 96 or 97 i think yeah and and then he moved to this, and then he moved back to Marvel and did Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, and then unfortunately he passed away. Yeah. So that's a yeah. Telos was I think Telos was the thing that kind of got him. Um, he was always kind of around, and if you look at his older art, it was very, uh, it was sort of that generic Jim Lee sort of. Uh, uh, oh, it was uh, way more cartoony than Jim Lee. Uh, what, what, I just feel like it was that sort of generic car, uh, uh, like comic book art style. It fit in, in like, with the nineties in the nineties, right? Yeah, yeah. And then when he did Telos, it was sort of him defining himself. Yeah, just like showing everybody what he was actually capable of, yeah. right? Like him coming out and doing this incredible. Uh, as I said, like it's a brilliant, colorful, lush world, uh, and and it's just it, every every panel is is full of great detail. It's actually uh, it's very similar to to Delilah Dirk in that sense, where like every every panel is just full of all of this world building stuff. And it that, got better uh, as it went on. Yeah, um, because at the be- in the very first few episodes, the style reflects kind of his old style. It does with um. It, it, it riffs on kind of Joe Mad and, and yeah. that kind of yeah. stuff. Like, um, who's the other guy I was thinking? Steve Scross was another one in that. Yeah, that I would uh, put Bacalo in the same is another one that, that, yeah. that had that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and then as the series went on, he he changes a little bit, and his his people yeah. come a little, become a little bit more um, more grounded and a little bit more real. He drops a lot of the cartoony and the playing with like huge hands and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and. Uh, um, yeah, he really develops really nicely in that short period. I don't know if he did. He managed to pull off the ten, like ten months in a row. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I don't believe so. I, I'm pretty sure when I was reading it, the first, 
The f- this- when I jumped in, I think I jumped in at issue four and then had to track down issues one through three, uh, as well as the the prologue issue, which was sort of like a preview. Because um, they, I mean, they still do that a bit these days, but they use it was really big in yeah. the in the late nineties, early two thousands to do your issue zero, and it's a it's a teaser for the story. Um, but uh, I believe I came in at issue four. Uh, and then issue five came out pretty quick, and then six and seven took a while. Okay. And there were sort of, like, long gaps in between. Well, and that's when they switched, like, they decided to form their own publishing company, or imprint under Image. Like, everyone was doing an edit image at that time, and that might have had something to do with that, too. Yeah, so there was a... and I think that's probably one of the one of the other reasons why there's a there's a style change towards the end of the book, um, because he does have that 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 time difference, right? There's right. A, there's a little bit of breathing room, but uh, yeah, it, I mean, it, the the and then it ended, and then there was a long gap between volume one and volume two. Like it was sort yeah. of a question of is there going to be more to this story? Because he kind of and left volume it open. two is is made up of like. Like single issues or little minis, is that right? So it they is. They didn't continue yeah. the numbering. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's more of a of a short story type of like thing, an like an anthology type yeah, of deal. Yeah, they, like the first volume is is very much the story of Jarek. Yeah, and and his journey. The second volume is more like what's going on in the world of Telos. So like does Jarek come back? Uh, I I believe so, but I'd have to have to another car crash yeah uh (laughs) something (laughs) i i it's been so long since i've read volume two uh uh that uh and read like those issues and everything like i said like it it was all kind of like scattered it was a little helter skelter so you'd like kind of read one thing and then you know a couple months later you walk into the comic book store and find out that there was another telos (laughs) something kind of like danger girl danger girl the same way too yeah so yeah so you know, I I thought that this was a like you said, it's such a um, a used plot device, having yep. the whole thing being a dream world and that kind of thing. Yep. Um, and I I do wish that I didn't know the twist <laughs> at the end there because that that um, influenced my reading the whole time. Yeah, like I was trying to figure out the whole time why he was there, how he yeah. was getting out of it, what was going to lead to him discovering that he was in the car crash. So. Um, it would have been a different experience. Yeah, I, I think I think the reason why why I remember it being a little bit more like peppered throughout is because when I read it initially, and you see Malliser at the beginning, he's just a guy in t shirt and in right. a t shirt and jeans, and, and that, that was always like the hint that exactly. like this is like, and he's he's constantly dropping hints of like like oh this stupid kid doesn't even know what what this is like he doesn't even know what's going on yeah that dialogue um, got tiring um yes because that's like all he says yeah it is there's some big secret and i know it and you don't know it and how could you possibly not know it yeah um but uh basically maliser is is this other kid mark who is the one who caused the car crash yeah uh, intentionally like like with with malice so that's him being maliser oh i didn't uh, put that connection to i i and i and put himself into a coma as well yeah so he ends up yeah he and he's his body is basically destroyed so his mind is kind of just like loose and not tethered so he's able to get into the world of telos and his plan is to 
defeat Jarek so that he can take over Jared's body and come back to the real world. And uh, we don't know if that would have actually happened, but the stakes seem pretty high. Like from yeah. from everything else within this, the context of the story, you, you think that it's actually something that he could pull off, um, which would have been it's, it's a very interesting angle to play. But uh, 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 that's the that's basically his motivation. I feel like of all of the elements of the story, that Malister's elements is 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 possibly the weakest because because it, it does kind of he's just a jerk when you sort of first get the reveal at the end. He's just a, a mean older kid. I uh, but then. He, he becomes a super villain of sorts like not even a super villain but more just like a he's like a sauron darth vader type of character yeah. who's very much just like i'm just evil like it, <laughs> i just do bad things um which i which which is i that's always a little bit weak for me like i like it when my my villains have a little bit more um a little bit more intention than uh than just well, his intention was guys. to survive, and I think his intention yeah, was, true. like, he was there but he in this world, but he didn't know where Jarek was. Yeah. So he used his influence, his power, and because he's evil, his just that's how he, he, he controlled people yeah. in order to find them, which is why I think they were so wanted. Like, they're, yeah, they're yeah. wanted characters, not world. because yeah. of, uh, like, he really raised the stakes and, and offered the huge reward and stuff like that so that they could be found. Um so he wasn't evil for the sake of being evil. He was evil, and he yeah. used that evil in order to find Jarek so that he could survive, because he yeah, knew that he wasn't going to survive. That's fair. Um, I kind of... I thought... I, I read this in two volumes. They were published in... The, this ten, these ten issues were published in two trades. Yeah. So the first five issues were in one trade. and uh, And in that trade, they also include the prelude and prologue story. Which, in that one, we find that Hawk has his wings. Yes. Which, I would have, I I wish I hadn't read that because it made the reveal in the second volume of the wings just not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of silly, um, but I was wondering through the the first one, the pacing in the first volume is really good. Yeah. Then in the second one, it ramps up and gets really rushed, and I wonder if they had a, a much bigger story to tell. And then really had to cut it short, uh, for whatever reason I don't know. Yeah. Um, because they introduced those where, where, um, what's the villain's name again? Malice. 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 Yeah. Malice. Um, he's being holed up in the in this. Uh, I don't know this. Um, palace that is five spires. Yeah. And. At one point, the, the turtle, the talking turtle, whatever his name is, um, sends. Um, half of the party to one spire and half of the party to the other spire. And then all of a sudden, in the next issue, they're all in one sp- one spire. And, and they, they explain it. It's like, no, it was a decoy. We're here yeah. to back you up or whatever. Um, but then Malister comes to them, and they have the big battle and everything's yeah. finished. Like, there was really no point in having five spires. Yeah. There was no point in even talking about the spires at all. Yeah. Um so I I really think that there was probably a bigger quest. Yes. Um that was supposed to happen, but for whatever reason they had to cut it short and so they just kind of made the climax happen when, when yeah. it did. Yeah, I think uh I think I think as is with with a lot of these image comics uh from that era, uh the these 
creators got together and cooked up these huge stories. And then uh, I think we talked about this with Battle Chasers, just sort of like discovered how much work that is. Uh, and that, that, you know, when you don't have, I, I think the biggest thing is when you don't have Marvel or DC breathing down your neck with deadlines <laughs> yeah. of like, no, we have to put an issue out this month. That's the way it works. Like right. the comics come out every month. People are waiting. It's, it's going to go in their pull box. Like this is, this is how the industry works. When you don't have that, um, I think, I think the stories end up, end up, like they, they have these grandiose plans and then discover like, Oh wait, we're not wrapping these up in volumes. Like there's no, I, uh, I Marvel and DC have, they have, they'll have story summits, right? Like every year, every, yeah. every, every, like a couple times a year. They'll and they get map every, up years in advance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like they get together and they go, okay, here's the next five story arcs for Spider-Man. And they'll go, okay, like, like, you know, uh, uh, map it out and know, uh, you know, in this six issues, this is going to happen, but then you need to leave some breathing room because we have this event coming up next summer. So Spider-Man has to, uh, uh, Spider-Verse has to wrap up before Secret Wars because we can't have Spider-Verse and Secret Wars happening at the same time, but there will be a Spider-Verse story in Secret Wars. So you can leave a loose end so that it pops up here, right? Like, they plan that stuff out um, and then and then bring artists and writers in and, and say, you know, fill in the blanks, right? Like, this is your slot. This is your release schedule. You have to hit all these notes uh, and you have to hit them on time. Uh, and if that doesn't happen, we end up with like, oh, well, you know, another artist comes in and fills in for yeah. that artist because yeah. cause they're, they're swamped for whatever reason or they're just not keeping up with the schedule. But when you are your own boss, like a lot of these these artists and writers were creating their own imprints, uh, we saw it, we see it with Danger Girl, we saw it with Battle Chasers. It's Telos is is a victim of this. Uh, they they run into these these issues of of well you know you're doing this convention and this thing and you're trying to promote your own book because you don't have the massive machine right I mean Image helps a little bit because it it does have a lot of cachet but Image was putting out so much content in this yeah. era like like I just named four series with between Crimson. Danger Girl, uh, uh, Battle Chasers, and Telos, all all Image Comics, and I think all competitors with one another, like because they they were all kind of in in, a, in in similar spaces. Danger Girl maybe being slightly out of it, but but like all sort of trying to, especially if you put Telos and Battle Chasers on the comic rack bes- beside each other, most people are going to look at that and go, uh, I'm going to go with that one, yeah. and. I did pick Telos over Battle Chasers. That's what happened. Like that, I like sort of reading Telos again and and thinking back to that that cliffhanger era. That is what happened. Another friend picked Battle Chasers, and I picked Telos because yeah. I liked the more cartoony style. So I went with that, and uh, and and you're you're trying to battle for shelf space basically for 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 that um, while trying to put out a comic. Like you're your own marketing. You're your own. Yep all these things uh, and I think that these creators discovered quickly it's difficult you know so so yeah. wrap up a story and then worry about the next story right so so I, I do think like with battle chasers which just kind of and it doesn't even really wrap itself up right like <laughs> not <it's>, yet <laughs> uh, I, and hopefully it'll get there but 
Um, but there is kind of like an end to that volume, right? Like to that to that first hardcover volume, or the only sort of yeah, it still ends um, up the finger. They they have they have the big fight, and then that's the end of the story. But I I, I think similarly, Battle Chasers and Telos, they had these grand, you know, Lord of the Rings esque yeah. uh, stories that they were laying out. And I uh, and I think much like Lord of the Rings, you you're, you're reading the first book and you're like, oh, this is going along, this is going along, this is going along. Big fight, end of book. What just happened? <laughs> right. And that that was my experience with Telus. For yeah. sure. That was yeah. absolutely it. <laughs> yeah. And then you're just like, uh, I guess there's going to be another one. Yeah. Is that is that how this <laughs> works? Because they really didn't finish the story. So, um, well, and a pro- the, part of the problem is that you you are throwing people into this world and creating a big, long, thrilling, sprawling story, but you don't have the readership to support yeah. that. Yeah. Um, you haven't got that fan base. And yeah. uh, so Spider-Man can do that yeah. because he's got 60 years of, of yeah. fan base or whatever, and his stories when they first started weren't those sprawling. They were one-off no. stories yeah. Yeah. Um, where you could just pick up an issue and then drop it or just come in and out. And that's why shows like, I don't know, um, X-Files or any show that has the big overarching story, it yeah. starts out, they always start out with the with one-off, the formula, you know, yeah. monster of the week kind of stories yeah. so that people can come in and come out and discover it and not be lost right away. Yeah. Um, and then and then they, the second season comes or the third yeah. season comes and they get heavy into story because yeah. now they've got the fan base. Yeah. But they don't do that to start. Yeah. Um, some of them do, like Lost, um, and that was lightning in a bottle. Um, but not yeah. all of them do that. Yeah. But I think I think I think this era that Telos and, and all those other books that we've been mentioning come from, I think that it very much informed the current era of I I really like trade paperback reading because that's because that's where we're at right now uh both with you know your regular uh uh, superhero continuity books but then the the independent stuff or not necessarily independent but the more like off the beaten path stuff is very much uh uh, volume based right Uh, well even marvel comics is volume based as well yes yeah yeah but i i I, I don't I don't pick up issues for anything but Saga. Uh, it, it's the only book that I read in issues because it's Brian K. Vaughn and I want to be current. I don't want to get spoiled by stuff yeah. on the internet or whatever, right? But uh, but everything else that I read, whether it's Turtles or or the Marvel stuff that I read, uh, you or for trade. yeah, like I, I pick them up in in trade paperbacks and and, yep. and I do my best to try and avoid spoilers. Uh, on the internet, so, uh, but they're they're they are very much built that way that that each each trade paperback is kind of like an episode of a show, right? It's got a beginning, middle, and an end, uh, and and the that that era I think of telling a story issue by issue, uh, or or telling like individual stories issue by issue uh, is is kind of past uh well it's changed it's not past what they do now is one issue is one trade paperback and so their story arc is now six trade paperbacks long yeah and they can collect it into an omnibus or whatever that is also (laughs) true yes that 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 is that that's very much the marvel and dc method of things right now um even to the extent that 
that I, I well even like Walking things... Dead is like that too now as well yeah yeah it's uh it's it's the same yeah it's yeah. the big the big three are are all kind of using that method yeah which is why I I lent I I tend to go with stories more like the Wrenchies because um they don't divide it up in the issue by issue type way yeah. and it's, it's a, just it is a book yeah it's a book yeah it's it's its own story yeah um but yeah i like i think i think telos is is worthwhile i think it's i think it's it's a it's a good story uh even if even if it's got you know that that the rushed ending like we talked about i but i do think that that Especially contextually, like if you want to look at it, uh, we're getting to the point where where books like this have a have an important place in the history of comics, um, and that era, uh, that that sort of uh, cliffhanger image era, uh, is is becoming important because I think that it's actually uh, informed a lot of what's happening today. Definitely, it definitely did, and this you can tell when you read it how many artists today or writers today read this when they were yeah. younger or first yeah. starting out in their career yeah. and now of uh you know they're entering yeah. they're creating um, those worlds of their own the one last thing i want to mention is that you can definitely tell what era it is from <laughs> because all of the dialogue is written in that i i uh we talked about this with um uh, oh what book was it couple months ago maybe i mean like we talked about it with a lot of books but basically anything from this era has that that dialogue style of like oh we're writing it like the way people speak so right. everything's abbreviated and it's yeah, it's right. wanna instead of want to and and it's all and, and we've we've grown and matured past that in comics uh, now i think and and it's a, an individual character might have those traits but for the most part, they allow the reader to put the voice onto the character rather than trying to force that voice onto the reader. Yeah. Um, which uh, which I'm very thankful for because going back in when we read all those cliffhanger books, um, and we read stuff from that era, I'm always reminded of that of that way of th- and at the time at the time it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. But. At the time, you know, like X Games was a thing that people were interested in, and uh, <laughs> and uh, Mountain Dew was the coolest drink you could possibly drink, and it was, you know, it was the late. And Superman 90s. had two was two characters. Yes, in different yeah. Colors. Superman needed to be more extreme. Everything was more extreme in your face. Cool, awesome. So uh, that's just sort of the way yeah. it was. The well, I, the most interesting thing about that era, I think, is that the Ninja Turtles were basically absent for it, but they were the best fit for that era. <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> but I think they might be no, they the, to had, blame um, for that, that. They had movies throughout the '90s. Not in the late '90s, though. Like I'm talking about, like that. The when that was it? Live of, action TV show. Was uh, that late '90s? That was Power Rangers late, era. Mid era. to late. Yeah, yeah. That was so, like that was like '97, '98. I think I watched an episode of that. Maybe on Netflix 96, the other day, and it was yeah. just like, oh man, I can't. Oh, is it on show. Netflix? It is. It is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. It is so bad. It's terrible. It's so bad because, and and I, I I think the people who are making the Ninja Turtles movies, go off on a little tangent, have realized this. Uh, if you don't have the Shredder as your main bad guy, your Ninja Turtles story is not going to be great. <laughs> it's just not going to be great. And and I know the original comics did not have Shredder as a bad guy. 
for the most part. I mean, he was in the beginning and then very quickly gone. But I, <laughs> but the Shredder has basically been a staple of Ninja Turtles since the animated series. And if you don't yep. have him as your bad guy, it you try and come up with all this other stuff, and you go to weird places like dragon people. Uh, right. And it, it gets odd very quickly. <laughs> odd for Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, okay, one more... Yeah, I mean, you were talking about how 90s this book is, and yeah. another thing about it is the coloring job in it. Yes. It's very, very 90s, just the, yeah. the very vibrant, dynamic colors. Yeah. Everything glows. Yeah. Um, which they, they had just discovered had digital just, coloring. Exactly. <laughs> this is the birth of digital coloring, and yeah. I think we made this mention when we were talking about Danger Girl as well. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. And all of the sound effects, too. Um, the sound effects are... are they're all over the place, and they take up yeah. so much of the yeah. the real estate of the panels. Which um, these days, I don't. I mean, I haven't paid close attention, but I don't even know if Marvel Comics even puts sound effects in their comics anymore. Occasionally, they're a little bit more sparse, right? Yeah. But they have a. The thing with Marvel is that Marvel specifically has branded sound effects, right? I mean, when Spider Man shoots a. A web it goes with but i don't even know if they put that in there anymore yeah it does show up it does show up but i think i think the thing with with modern comics is that these things show up when it's uh when it's when it serves the story when it's sort of a plot point so if spider-man runs out of web fluid and goes for a thwip it just goes thwip and then it and then dash dash and cuts out right so like they use it to their advantage but there definitely are sound effects from time to time um, but I think they allow their storytellers to uh, to tell the story yes. instead. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm just flipping through. I just pulled off of your shelf the um, Amazing Spider-Man volume re- from recently. Um, and there are sound effects, but yeah, yeah, it's like they're not nearly as present Few as they are between. in, in it's a It's a less is more mentality, I think. Yeah. Um, but... If Wolverine's going to pop his claws dramatically, yeah, it still goes yeah. snicked. It right. has to, right? Like, that's what I'm saying. He won't do I, that anymore, though. I, I, DC may be, may be less so. But, uh, yeah, DC is a, is a few years behind yeah. in general. Yeah. Okay, well. Cool. Uh, well, I think that wraps it up for Telos. Sure. So we can jump into into your poll. What, what was your, your pick for this month? My pick is uh, The Wrenchies by... Feral Dalrymple, and I picked this one because, uh, well, first of all, it was actually a review copy that was given to us by First Second, um, and that... Uh, so thank you, First Second. Definitely you, you thank you, awesome. First Second. You, you've been a, a good supporter of us, yeah. um, and we are happy, happy to be a, a supporter yeah. of you guys as well. Yeah. I think this is, the, is this the third First Second book that we've read on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think we're, we're quickly becoming the official first second podcast. I hope I hope so. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, and there's so much more. Um, I recently borrowed from the library a book called Andre the Giant, a biography about Andre okay. the Giant. Cool. Um, by for a second um, because it, it people say that it's great. So I'm yeah. going to check that one out next. But yeah, so back to the Wrenchies. This book I didn't know anything about it when I went yeah. into it, um, and it's hard to like. It's hard to describe also what it's <laughs> about. Yeah. So I'll do my best here. Um, the Wrenchies starts out. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin to describe it. It's about it. It's about the future. The Earth as it has become in the future is overrun 
by they're kind of like zombies they call themselves the shadow shadowsmen shadowsmen yeah that uh they come and and um they take over you and turn you into kind of zombies as well so it's a little bit of that except they're not really zombies um they like have bugs inside of them that that control yeah. the bodies and the, the yeah. bugs come out and they go into your ear and that's how you become a zombie they're, or they're, something. They're demons, right? Like the Demons, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sort of how they're referred to. So in this world, all of the adults have been taken over so the only kids remain. Yeah. And they, they've formed little bands of, uh, of just little gangs or whatever. And so one gang in particular is called the Wrenchies and that's where we get our title. And now the interesting thing about that is that the Wrenchies... In this world, is a comic book from before the world went to, to the crap down the crapper, um, and that is where they get the name of their gang, and the Wrenchies. And then there's this other story of this other kid named Hollis, yeah, who read the Wrenchies comic book in the, like present day, quote unquote present day, yeah, and then for some reason gets sucked into the future where yeah. he gets to meet the future wrenchies yeah and then the wrenchies from the comic book come into the story and they yeah. all form a giant team to stop the big bad and it's just it's so i was i was thinking to myself that as i was reading this that um any english lit class should have this in their in their curriculum yeah as a perfect example of postmodern writing like this yeah. is a postmodern book for the yes. ages right here yes. um everything about it every single thing about it is is so incredibly postmodern and it was uh fascinating to read i thought yeah um <laughs> yeah well it has no it has no structure to speak of yeah it, uh, it like you can't you can't break it into acts because it is not broken into acts. Yeah, like I mean, the book itself is broken into acts, but they're not. There are four chapters, right? like, but yeah, it, they yeah. defy time, so you can't yeah. call them. You can't really call them acts. Yeah. So I, 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 I mean, I would kind of describe it as Lord of the Flies meets yep. Mad Max meets I, I, I don't know. It's kind of there's a superhero vibe in it, yeah. but uh, I wouldn't pick any specific super it's just kind of like influenced by superheroes uh and then and then there's a little bit of heavy metal thrown in for right good measure definitely right? yeah um yeah it is just it's weird it's creepy it's off-putting uh it's disgusting and all of those things are what make it awesome yeah and and that's <laughs> i i i had the chance to talk to 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 feral at at van calf um, while while I was getting uh, our our review copy signed, uh, uh, Curtis's copy, uh, and uh, he is an interesting guy, I I and you <laughs> you get a good sense of 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 where the Wrenchies came from and having a conversation with them, and you also you can learn a lot about Farrell from reading the Wrenchies. <laughs> like it's it goes both ways. It's a two way street. Um, but he's a very, I, uh, I uh, kind of, in, uh, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say eccentric, but he is. You can just kind of get the sense that he thinks of things that most of us don't. <laughs> yeah. Um. And uh, and these these demons made of bugs that infect other people, um, are are definitely uh, a reflection of that. He's a he's a, he was a really cool guy to talk to and to talk talk about this stuff with. 
But basically, I give him a similar description as to what I just said. And, uh, and, and said, sort of like, you know, when, when, when we got it and decided that we were going to read it for the, for the podcast, um, I didn't know what to think at first. I sort of like grabbed it and was like, oh, this looks, definitely looks interesting, but, uh, but I don't know if it's going to be my thing, right? Like, right. cause I'm more, I'm more the superhero guy. So like, I'm, I'm open to it and it was. Like, and I said to him, like, I said to him immediately, I was like, it is very weird, strange, and off-putting, uh, but fantastic. Like, yeah. like it's, it's, it's probably one of the cooler comics, one of the, the better comics that I've read in a while. Um, because, it, like, it, it, this is a story that I think exists in this medium, right? Right. Uh, and we've talked about that before with other comics. I. Uh, the the comics medium similar to video games uh similar to tv try so hard to be movies right like everything the the highest praise you can ever give any kind of media is oh that was really cinematic <laughs> right and i feel like that's cool and everything i love movies i uh, uh, and i love pulling apart movies and discussing them and 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 getting into what they're all about but I feel like each medium sort of has its own quirks and its own niche and its own reason for existing. And I think that the Wrenchies, you could not make this into a movie. You couldn't make it into a TV series. You might be able to make an animated feature out of it <laughs> for adults that are weird. <laughs> but, uh, but I don't think that it would work in the same way. Like It is very much a product of comic books yeah. and of, of the comic sensibility uh and hollis i think i think the story doesn't really start to gel until hollis gets introduced you're well, kind of going through it and you're like where is this going what's happening what's going on like obviously these kids are the key to everything but then you get to hollis you learn his background and then he gets pulled into their world and it's when he gets pulled into their world that you start to realize that Hollis might just be the key to everything. Like he's, he might be the most important part of the story. Yeah. Well, it's not until, well, yeah, exactly. There's, and that's halfway through the book, by the way, it is chapter four (laughs) is halfway through. And then we get a whole chapter of exposition. Yeah. Um, and then they go on the quest and that's like then the story, that's where their story starts. And it's, you only have a third of the book left. And 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 to be perfectly honest, the quest nothing happens. Nothing, yeah. Like everything happens. Like there's a constantly you're constantly finding out from Hollis because so it's kind of his or, perspective. Yeah, or, that somebody died or they left in the middle of the night and never came back. And then like later on in the book, characters come back and it's like and they're totally changed. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's just it's this really weird way of telling a story that totally works for me. Yeah. Um, Because by the end of it, at the beginning, I was like, "Where is this going? What's happening? I don't understand." You get to Hollis, and you're like, "Okay, now I now there's a character I can kind of relate to, even though Hollis is a very very weird individual." (laughs) Um, And and you know, if you, um, I don't know if I would want to talk to to Farrell about too many of the details in this (laughs) book because I don't know if I want to know the influences and the stories that created you know the 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 story that he told cuz it might be a little bit weird but uh, and uncomfortable to listen to but uh, i i get that sense from the book anyways uh, but you you sort of you get into the end of it 
uh, and the quest, and you're just kind of going along. And by the end of the story, only sort of once it's all wrapped up and you're done, do you feel like that was really satisfying. Yeah. Like that was a really good read, but all throughout it, you, I, I, I found myself and uh, I, I talked to, um, I talked to Tony about this actually. About, uh, uh, about this book. About this book, and because uh, uh, he he wanted to know what our polls were for this month, so I brought up the wrenches, and he's like, "Yeah, I've got it, and I'm reading it, and I'm like." I'm. I think I'm in like like two chapters in, and I just don't know. And exactly. I said to him, you and I was like, and end. I was like, you got to keep going. You got to keep going because by the end of it, and I mean, like we put ourselves under the crunch, and I think that that's that's the the one of the yeah. the the blessings of doing this podcast is we'll pick a book, we have and, to finish, and we it. have to finish it. <laughs> well, and it took me all month. It really yeah, did. did. I had it? to. I I started. It. it was the first one that I wanted to read. Yeah. It took me. All month to get through it because yeah. I had to stop um, because it's so dense. Yeah, and so then I had to cram Superman and I had to cram Telus into the last week because yeah. it I, I it took me so long to get through this, but in a good way because when I was looking through and flipping through, it's like pages are big, they're big bold pictures. I didn't yeah. think that there was going to be much to this story, but there is so much going yeah. on. Yeah, um, it starts off with with Sherwood. And it ends with Sherwood. Yes. And the story actually is all about Sherwood, but it's completely Hollis's journey. Yeah. And it's so weird that when you get to the end of the story, the conclusion, everything wraps up with Sherwood. Yeah. And But he's not present for most of yeah. the story. But and there's a there, I, there's a whole other series contained within this yeah. about Sherwood in space. Yeah, with, <laughs> you don't with even the get scientist, to. right? Like, like cruising <laughs> around space. Like, um, that's why I think that's why I say that. Like, this is very much a comic book about comics, like in the comic format. Yeah, and and it's the only way that it could be properly told because because he does like this. I believe that that the wrenchies contains almost every major. Uh, uh, I actually I would say every major genre of comics is in this book, well, because it's it, yeah. got science fiction, it's got fantasy, it's got horror, it's got uh, uh, an autobiographical element to it. Space whether, opera, and, yeah, like whether it is yeah. actually autobiographical, like Hollis's chapter feels very it's very like, memoir. Yeah. yeah, well, and he's and the whole narration is his. First of all, the first two chapters are. Where does Hollis come in? He comes in chapter three. Yeah. So the first two chapters, there's no narration. Yeah. It's all just straight ahead storytelling. Yeah. And then from chapter three on, the whole rest of the, the story, except for the one chapter yeah. about Sherwood, is told through a series of letters that he is writing to God. Yeah. And so, and and that's where, uh, yeah, it's just... It's just he has a very so complicated relationship with God. Yeah. And his religious experiences. It's so uh, strange. Uh, it's but it's so weird because like it, it is, it is it's a holistic story. Yeah, you have to read the whole thing in order to start going back into it and digesting it. Yeah. I think you're right when you say that this should be in classrooms, and it's a perfect example of postmodern yeah. because it it, it is. Um, it is very much informed by all those genres that I just mentioned, and if you don't have an understanding of those genres, you're going to miss story points. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, so it's uh, it, it was a great book to read a year into the podcast because we've basically been doing homework all year <laughs> to, read to get book. to the wrenchies yeah. and then pull it apart. But it it uh, it just it reads to me like comic book jazz. Like right. I feel and again, this is informed by having a conversation with Farrell and talking to him about his other comics and other stuff that he's done um, and sort of checking out what he had at his table. Uh, I get the sense that he writes this stuff as he goes, that it just kind of flows and just yeah. happens. Yeah. And, and sometimes I think that there are artists who try and do that. There are, there are creators that try and do that. Uh, and, and it just becomes this weird, clumpy, disjointed, difficult to read mess. Um, I think, I think it's funny with first, second, I think you've got two examples of this. You've got uh, a very unstructured, creative mind like Farrell, and then you've got a very structured, creative mind like Tony. That that I feel I felt the same way with Tony's book with 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 Delilah, Delilah Dirk. That it was very much like he's got an idea of where he wants to go with stuff, but it's an adventure. So let's see where the adventure takes you, and he just kind of writes and draws it as he goes, or like lets it unfold. Right? Maybe like there's probably. Uh, uh, an outline, you know, whether it's written or just in his mind of, of where everything heads, but it is very much like, like each page sort of reveals more of the story. Um, uh, and I, I feel like they both write in that same way, but one is just almost scribbles on a page <laughs> yeah. and the other one is very, very finely detailed. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and Del Ripple must do a lot of, he's got to do a lot of reading in order to be yeah. so in tune with, yeah. with postmodern writing as well. <clears throat> yeah. Um, cause I'm sure that doesn't come naturally. No, um, no at least, at least not, not in this, uh, I, I, uh, refined a form. Right? right. I, I think that people can just do that. Like there are people who will just go out and try and do postmodern, yeah. but if they, like you say, if they don't have the understanding, it's just going to come out as, yeah noise almost right um yeah um so there are a few artistic elements in here that are interesting to note um anytime that the scene takes place in the wrenchies world the panels all have curved edges to them and anytime the 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 story takes place in the real world or present like in hollis's chapter it's the panels are have their sharp corners Hmm. So there's a few, like, you can tell where you are in the story because yeah. of the way he writes his panels. Um, the The way he lays out his panels as well is, uh, is interesting because sometimes he's very regimented with his, like, six panels per page. Yeah. All of them equal squares. And then he'll go, then he'll take pages that are completely bizarre. And uh, I'm trying to find an example of, of one right now. Well... Um, this is a good spread where you've got like a spread right. where he's revealing the, so what, the underground base. What page is that on? Uh, uh, that one doesn't have numbers. page numbers because it's a huge. 176 and 77. Yeah. So there you go. There, Yeah. There's a good example. And in fact, that that whole chapter with the exposition, it kind of goes back and forth between those, those yeah. examples um, of being very creative with his, with his storytelling and having the, you know, you ha kind of have to figure out how the panels or the speech bubbles flow in relation to the the story. Yeah. Um, on, and then sometimes he'll be very, very cautious with uh, with how he lays things out. So it's uh, 
yeah, he, he's, a, he's an interesting guy in that sense as well. Um, I love his artwork. It's just so, it's so um, gritty and all, sometimes it borders on ugly, but in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not afraid of making his characters off model as well. Like, yeah. uh, especially I find that Bance, the character of Bance, the guy with the kid with the mohawk, his face structure changes all the time. Like sometimes he looks way older and sometimes he looks way younger. Um, and that's just a fact. And I think that just goes with the whole kind of story at a time yeah. feel as well. Um, and it's, it, yeah, I like it. I like his, uh, his art is just so unique yeah. along with everything else in the book. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I think unique is probably the best word to describe it. I, I don't, I've never, like I've read other books that, they they have similar elements and that sort of thing, but I don't think that I've ever read anything that brings so many different things together into one book yeah like i said like it's got it has sci-fi horror fantasy <laughs> memoir like it is just it's just a mishmash of everything and it's like uh it's like if you take a bunch of paint colors and you mix them all together you just end up with brown yeah but if you take a bunch of slurpy flavors and you mix them all together you end up with swamp water and sometimes it is better than <laughs> <laughs> the the sum of its parts right yeah. and it, it's it, this is one of those examples where you're just like man th this book is just such a mess but it's such a beautiful mess <laughs> you know i i it's such a like it, it is itself a contradiction in terms like it, right. it, it's well which is why it's postmodern <laughs> yeah yeah um and and i and i just i i, I think if anybody looks at this book and goes i don't really think it's for me I, I think that they should just read it anyways. And, and it might not be for them. And it might not be, but I think that I think that there's enough in it that, that there is something in here for everybody. Anyone listening to this podcast who hasn't read this book, um, we're being pretty vague talking about it, yeah. just in general terms, because we have to be, yeah. I think, in a sense. So, yeah, do yourself a favor and, and pick it up, because... Yeah. Uh, um, you won't really know anything about the book unless you actually yeah. read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I think we could probably, you know, break down the plot point by point, but, but that's that, not what the book is about. Yeah. That's not what it is. The so. book isn't about the quest or yeah. the story or the journey. It's about, I don't even know what it's about. It's about the characters. It's about the, Hollis. It's about the world. The they world. Live in. Yeah. It's about the way he tells the story. Yeah. It's about the way you experience, and, and, it and it's there. There's a lot of uh, social commentary in it. There's a lot of yes. like uh, Hollis's chapter is very much about um, like fitting in, and like there's a there's a sort of like a bully vibe yeah. to it, like like uh, you know uh, anti bullying sort of element to it. But then there's also this weird religious thing in it, and right. you get a, you get a good sense of I think how Farrell probably feels about religion mm -hmm. based on 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 that and and i would say that it's probably like it seems like it's informed by some experience and yeah and uh and I, it's it's weird right but i always almost wonder if um the world the wrenchy's world is created by hollis in his yeah. mind and it's just like that's where he retreats yeah. to because of his um he kind of has a crappy life outside of it yeah. doesn't fit in or whatever um and then but then you have sherwood 
Yeah. Like, where does he fit in with all of that? Yeah. So, like, no, this is actually a real world. Yeah. Except um, Hollis is the hero of the world. <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah. 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 Like that. Yeah. It, it, like we said, we try breaking it down point by point with the plot. But and it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't, You just, you can't. Because uh, I think if you try and look too much into that stuff... You, you miss the, as I say, it's holistic, right? You have to read the whole book and then you have to put it down, take a step back and think about it as a, as a complete piece of work. Yeah. Um, it, it's not, it is not any individual chapter or any individual character or story. Um, Hollis is sometimes the main character and sometimes he isn't. I, I, the, the, I don't remember the name of the kid with the, with the, the Cyclops glasses, but uh, I, I, he, I, uh, he seems um Tad. Yeah, he seems uh, incredibly important all the way throughout, but yeah. he never speaks a word. Uh, uh, or maybe he does like once or twice, but uh, like just simple things. But I'm pretty sure he doesn't talk in the whole book. Right. He just, uh, uh, yeah, I guess I didn't notice that, but uh, he, I don't think he does. He's a silent protagonist, which is a video game thing. I, I, and I, it, it's a, it's an interesting thing because I think I found myself pulled into that character the most because of the fact that he is a silent protagonist yeah. um, and, and doesn't have anything to say. So you kind of put yourself in those shoes, right? Um, yeah. 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 It's a fascinating book and I, uh, I'm sure that people smarter than us pro- could probably pull it apart. And, and I'm sure they will. And, uh, this yeah. is going to be one of those books that is going to be right up there with, like, Mouse and yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Corrigan and all of the, those literary classic comics yeah. that are going to be studied in schools. Like, this yeah. this is going to be that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that First Second took the risk because yeah. I think this is a risk to publish oh, a book sure. like this. For and sure. I'm glad that they took the risk. Um because it, it shows, to, to me, it shows that they are a publisher that um, that just wants to put out good comics rather yeah. than play it safe or ones that will... And, and, and to not, like, the, I think the thing that I like the most about First Second is that they don't have any one particular identity. I mean, the three books that we have talked about on this podcast, The Wrenchies, Battling Boy, and Delilah Dirk, could not be more different. Oh, but, and I've yeah, and I've read so many more of these first second books. Yeah. Like Boxers and Saints is about the Boxer Rebellion, and that one is completely different from all of the other ones. Yeah. And um, so, like they, they yeah, because uh, I think Image started with that intent, but Image very much has an identity of being sort of like alternative mainstream comics, right? right. Like, yeah. I, I they're alt in the same sense that there are pop punk bands that consider themselves alt, but like they're played on the radio. So how alt could you be? Right. Right. Like, uh, but with this, it's like, uh, it, this is very much, it's, there's a, there's an independent spirit to, to everything that they do. Yeah. And, uh, I, but the quality I think is, is the, the defining characteristic. Yeah. And it's, it's incredible, which just means that they have, um, some really great, uh, intelligent people with a good eye for yeah. talent uh, at 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 first second that are sort of like grabbing these these independent comic 
uh, uh, creators yeah. and saying like, we'll give you a stage to, to put this yeah. on. And then they publish these incredibly beautiful books. Like just the quality of the books themselves are a cut yeah. above. Yeah. And, uh, and so when you look at it and you go, Oh, it's a $23 price tag in Canada, but it's a thick book and it looks good on a shelf and it's and beautiful it's, and it's nice a, thick pages yeah, and yeah, great it's, reproduction it's quality. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean they they are they are very quickly becoming my favorite publisher, um, because I just everything that I've read from them so far has been a great <laughs> experience, and I you know we'll probably get to that point where we read something that I don't like, but but for the most part I think they're they they seem to understand comics and what comics are about. Yep. So. And we'll, we'll have more of their books on the yeah. show for sure in the future. Yes. Okay, one last thing before we move on. Um, if you want a hint of Feral Dalrymple and you don't want to start with Wrenchies because it's pretty a pretty hard place to start, Yeah. Um, I, and you're used to superheroes, I would recommend the book Omega the Unknown, which is published by Marvel. It um, Omega is... A, a classic character from I think the early 70s or something like that okay. who's unknown like he's no one knows of him anymore his comic came and went I think it was just a mini series or something like that yeah. but they brought it back for a, I think a 10 or 12 issue mini series which Farrell Dalrymple illustrates somebody else writes it yeah. but it is very strange as well it's got it's got a slight it's postmodern marvel if you want to okay. read something that's similar to this but a little bit more accessible yeah, yeah. so there you go it's called omega the unknown and if you really liked the wrenchies and you want to jump from this into more weird stuff that that feral uh has contributed to i would suggest a book called profit okay i uh, which uh you know what volume one of profit will probably end up on on my my list as, okay. as a poll at some point just haven't gotten there yet because i I need you to pick like a superhero comic and so and, oh, and, okay. our, and our because because we can't throw that on top of a pile when there's something heavy in there. You don't want to put wrenchies and profit in the same no podcast. people people would be uh, very uh, distraught I think if we made them read both of those in a month. Uh, okay. Profit is really cool, but much like wrenchies. I mean, I've read the first two volumes, and I have no idea what's going on with that series because <laughs> it is just weird. Okay, but uh, but but Farrell uh, he contributes to that. He he did two issues of that. So um, okay, yeah, cool. I'll well, tell you what, I've got my stuff. I've got my pull set for this month. But next month, I'll pick a superhero book. Okay. to let you be and I'll pull uh, a little bit more okay. alternative. It doesn't okay. have to be profit, but it can okay. be uh, okay. something more off the beaten <laughs> path. <laughs> sure. Cool. I guess that brings us to our, our reader poll uh, for this month, which uh, comes to us from Jonathan Spies. And uh, uh, he, he suggested that we read Superman for All Seasons, and uh, that gave me a good excuse to pick up the, uh, the, the deluxe edition hardcover. Ooh, Because nice. uh, uh, I'm a big fan uh, <laughs> of Superman, and specifically of For All Seasons, because it is, it is a classic uh, written by Jeff Loeb, uh, illustrated by Tim Sale. Um, it is, uh, and you have to mention the colorist because the oh, color yeah. it's, um, Bjarni Hansen. Okay. And the color plays such an important yeah. role in this book. And we'll talk yeah. about that a little later, but you have, when you're listing the creators, I think we have to put the yes. colorist in there too. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, and this is just, uh, I, this is required reading for anybody who loves Superman, but more importantly, I think that this is required reading for anyone who thinks that they hate Superman. If, if you are under the impression that you don't like the character of Superman because he's boring or he doesn't, he never has anything interesting to say, or when you have all those powers, there's never anything. What, what's the challenge, right? Um, but I think for all seasons and then, I. I uh, Tim Sale has a, a follow-up to For All Seasons. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, um, that he did much later. I'm just going to take the dust jacket off of this. I, I, Superman Kryptonite, um, which was originally published in Superman Confidential. Um, oh, nice. Which uh, I'll have I, have, check that I out. have it in issues, but you can find it as Superman Kryptonite. Um, I... this is this is a book that explains to you who the character of superman is this is the story that i would make into a movie um because it i mean we've got man of steel and actually man of steel cribs quite a lot from for all seasons it does uh, especially in 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 the first chapter yeah the first chapter and just in the way that the narrative is structured now that's a story about Zod, and this is very much a story about Superman and Lex Luthor, but I uh, but it is it the so the reason why it's called for all seasons is because it takes that structure. Uh, it was it was originally released in four. Um, they're not quite issues because they're a little bit thicker than a regular yeah, issue. They, DC likes to call them prestige format. Yeah. They're like 90 pages or something yeah. like that. Um, and, and sort of more published like a trade paperback. Like they're, they, they've got the thicker cover. They, they're actually everything. square bound. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so there were four, four of these, these premium format uh, uh, issues, uh, prestige format, sorry, right. issues, that uh, one for each season. So you've, you start with... you. Uh, start with spring summer fall and then winter and uh and each one is itself a a self-contained story but and told from the perspective of somebody different in in clark kent's life uh but then so it it, all comes together to tell one overarching story sort of of superman's early career sort of his uh his early clashing with uh with lex luthor and and uh sort of how he became the superman that we know right um it really informs uh the classic version of superman i wouldn't say the superman that we have at the moment because the superman that we have at the moment is an atrocity uh uh, compared to what jeff Loeb and tim sale yeah this is the this is iconic superman right here definitely and it doesn't take place in one full year it just no. focuses on seasons of Superman's yeah. life yeah. and um, with the background of an actual season. Yeah. Um, so I like that that play as well. Yeah. Um, and then each volume is also, or each season is narrated by a different person. Yes. So the first one is narrated by Clark, and it's about him growing up. Yeah. Um, and uh, learning about his powers for the first time, and then eventually making the decision to leave Smallville. And then the second volume is narrated by Lois Lane, and it takes more of a, um, well, it takes her perspective of um, kind of discovering Superman for the 
not really for the first time. But sorry, the fir- the first volume is is. Oh no, sorry, it's narrated by Pa Kent. By that's Pa right. Kent. Sorry, um, that's right. It does switch at the end because there's a few things that Pa wasn't around for. So they like there's a little bit of. It's not narrated, but there's a little bit of Clark's You're right. perspective. No, it is Pa. Is yeah, none of it is from Clark's perspective, yeah. and that's what makes this book yeah. great. I shouldn't. I should. Uh, I should have remembered that. Yeah, yeah, it's um. So his dad talking about from his point of view, which as now I'm a parent, it's like that's. A really neat perspective to read yeah. from, um, and then yeah, sorry. The second volume, um, Summer, is Lois Lane, and talking about the uh, Superman as he kind of first appears. Her first encounter is it her first encounter with her? Maybe not, but um, uh, no, because they've got a bit of a relationship yeah. already. So, um, but just kind of explaining to us who Superman is in relationship to uh, to the city. Yeah. And then the third one in fall is is Lex Luthor. He narrates it, and it's his perspective of Superman and how he thinks Superman relates to the city um, or to the world, I guess. Uh, and that was an interesting perspective, too. And then in the fourth one is... Who does the fourth one? Uh, Lana. Oh, that's, that's Lana. Yeah, one. that's right. So it's uh, And that was really neat because... Um, it brings us back to Smallville and kind of brings Smallville and Metropolis together through her narration. Yeah. Um, and there's kind of a, a, um, a little bit of a, um, a comparison between her and, and Lois. Yeah. Through that. And then there's also the, the actual story about what's going on with Superman deals with, uh, Luther, um, is creating kind of an army of robots to police the city so that Superman doesn't have to do it. Yeah. Uh, he wants to show that he's more important than Superman. And so that's kind of what's going on in behind the scenes. Like, it's the main plot of the story, but that's not actually important to the story at all. No, no. So it's an interesting way. And that's no, what Jeff yeah. Loeb, he likes to write like that a the, lot. The story is very much about uh, it's about Superman finding his place. Yeah. Right. Because we start we start in Smallville with Superman, n- not Superman yet. He's he's just a, a he's graduating. Right. It's, yeah. it's his it's his uh, uh, senior year of high school, and he's trying to figure out what he's gonna do, like how he moves from Smallville to to whatever's next in life, or if he stays on the farm or. You know uh, the sort of things that that I think we can all relate to, and like you said, through the through the lens of his father, who doesn't want to see him grow up, doesn't want to see him uh, uh, leave, but understands that that's just the way that the world works. Like that's that's the point. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do is raise them to to stand on their own two feet and make their own decisions. Right. Um, he comes to the city. And and Lois talks very much about the idealized Superman, the the guardian of Metropolis, you know, the Man of Steel, and uh, and sort of like like plays him up as as indestructible and dynamic and heroic and very much the the Silver Age Superman that I think we most often think of that's that's what that's the classic Superman that comes to mind. Right. It's the one that informs Christopher Reeves portrayal of superman in the in the superman movies uh it, it is it is that superman and then when we get into lex's story uh this is this is for me the definitive lex luthor um 
all other Lex Luthors need to look at this one. And, uh, and it's very much a similar Lex Luthor in, in, in Superman Kryptonite and Superman Confidential, which is why I say it's a follow-up, because it feels very much like they're in the same universe. But Lex, uh, in showing his strength, seeks to show Superman's weakness. Um, and obviously Superman's weakness is not kryptonite as most people think it is, but it's actually his heart. It's how much he cares. Yep. And it's the fact that Superman wants to, strives to, and struggles with the fact that he can't be everywhere and he can't save everyone. And Lex creates a scenario that, that really preys on Superman's, um, his need to save people, his his savior complex, right? The thing that makes him Superman. Yeah. Uh, that he puts others over himself always because when you're indestructible, it's easy to do that. But he but he puts he puts his feelings and emotions on the line more often. That and most of his villains don't realize that. I think that's what makes Lex so great. But then in in the in the final story with Lana. Uh, where where Clark goes back to Smallville to try and sort of figure himself out, that's when Lana helps him rediscover um, who Superman really is. Because I think Lois, uh, at least in this incarnation, she's very much in love with the idea of Superman, but she doesn't really know him. She knows, like I said, this idealized classic version of Superman that we know from, from the Silver Age comics... But Lana knows the boy that became Superman. Yeah. And so she knows it's not just about putting on the flashy outfit and saving the city because you can. He does it because he has to, because it's who he is. Uh, Superman is a persona that he puts on, but Clark is the one who needs to save people. And, and she gets that and helps him sort of rediscover that uh and and the you know the plot also helps him rediscover it because there's a there's a, a a winter storm that that causes a bunch of issues and uh superman has to save the day in smallville uh and it's in saving the day and and in helping the people um and and also i think seeing that the people help themselves and help each other uh that that he comes back uh, to Metropolis and uh, I, I, I just the 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 best part of this story I think is the through line in in the three seasons after he becomes Superman so uh, 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 summer fall and winter with this kid in yeah. Metropolis because he first meets the kid this kid's running along this the top of the building like like the side of a size skyscraper because Metropolis is this crazy gigantic city and that's where a kid decides to play plays. chasing a cat. Um, and he, all, he, he falls or whatever and Superman saves him and, uh, and, and pops him back down and, uh, and, and the kid goes, oh, that's a really cool outfit. That's a cool costume. And he goes, thanks, my mom made it for me. <laughs> and then he flies off. Like, that's the Superman that I love. But then you get it contrasted with I uh, the the Superman uh, the Lex Luthor's robots like uh, like almost almost causing the kid to fall off of a building because they pop out of nowhere and yeah and uh, and scare him and that's the that's the problem with Lex Luthor is that as much as he's got a savior complex just like Superman he doesn't understand 
how to be a, a hero because uh, he's just not built that way. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, I, I, Superman saves the kid again. Oh, maybe that's when the when the thing. Oh yeah, the the robot pops up in the in the winter one and goes citizen, and the kid falls. But uh, I I the 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 kid says at the end, I'm Trevor, but everyone calls me Trev, and he goes, Good to meet you, Trev. Folks call me Superman, and that's the, that's your last panel. It's just this single page Superman flying over Metropolis, and it's everything that Superman is supposed to be, right? Like, and it's all contained within this book. Yep. Uh, and and. If you if like I defy a person to read this and and not have their heart softened a little bit towards Superman, um, that's not to say that I don't expect people to read the book, come away from it, and go, yeah, Superman's still lame. <laughs> but I uh, I those are what we call Batman fans, and uh, <laughs> and they're not interesting people on the inside. No, I'm just I'm just. <laughs> trolling right now but i uh, no like i think like people people want stories to be edgy and dark i think that that's a very easy crutch to lean on um i think it's much more interesting when your characters stand in the light of day uh, all of their 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 uh strengths and flaws in in you know like uh, all all out in the lights for everybody to see and that's what this book does really well is like we see where Superman's strengths are, absolutely, because we see, we see it all through Lois's eyes, right? But then uh, we also see where all of his faults are, uh, both both through the eyes of his father, Lex and Lana. They all, they all play up both his his strengths and his flaws. Yep, and you can be dark without being Batman. Batman yep. dark. Yep. And this, the, I mean, this book does go into some dark places. Oh, for Superman sure. has yeah. to wrestle with himself and he quits being Superman. And, and, yep. and it talks about all these kind of themes that, that you would find in a dark, gritty Batman movie, but it's just not dark and gritty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the situation that Lex puts Superman in, in, in the, in his chapter and in, in Lex's chapter is very dark like the end of that story is very dark because you have to do something impactful in order to get to superman right and and uh basically lex sets up a scenario in which uh in order to save the city superman unknowingly kills one person uh, yeah one person and and uh and can't do anything about it like it's it's only after the fact that she dies and then you know, like, I, I, theoretically, he could beat the snot out of Lex. I mean, he could throw him into orbit. <laughs> That's not uh, going to accomplish but, anything. But, it, yeah, that doesn't, it doesn't change anything. And it, it's, it's, that's a, that's a, a momentary uh, 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 impulse against, you know, his ideals. So, so what does he do? He, it, it breaks him, right? Because I think there's a, he has a moment where he does want to react but he can't because he is superman yeah and so he has to go home he has to go back to smallville and and uh i figure out it's almost like what that means post-traumatic stress syndrome or whatever yeah yeah yeah, like yeah. He, has to, he has to deal with that yeah so i think i think everything that's contained within this book <laughs> this is basically the blueprint for how to write good superman um, and I think it's really funny cause I was going to bring up Smallville. Um, 
and how great Smallville is and how it cribs a lot from this. It does not necessarily crib though. Jeff Loeb was was a he really, was wasn't he? Yeah, he was right. a really big creative uh, part of, of, of Smallville. Smallville for many so, of the years, yeah, yeah, for many years. So that's true. I, I, because and they hired him because he wrote this book. Yes, because they he knows Superman and yeah. they wanted to make a good Superman yeah. show. In. And you know, like Jeff Loeb, I, I, he's got his ups and downs in his career, and he's written some of the best comics for DC, and he's also written some of the worst comics. For DC, um, but his but, miniseries are where they're at, though. Like, yeah. I'm, I don't know, I, I can't remember if I've read any of his his long form, um, like ongoing series work. Yeah. But um, his Batman Long Halloween, I yes. love. I love his Batman work. Loeb and Sale again. Yeah, it's exactly. A, the Loeb and Sale team. Duo. Those those two yeah. guys and all of those. Um, like he, they did a number of minis for Marvel around this time as well. Yeah. Like Spider Man Blue and Daredevil Yellow. Yep. Those were so good. Yeah. Um, what I think that this book tells me about Superman is that Superman is part of classic Americana. Yes. Um, and that this whole book screams classic Americana. Yeah. And right down to like Tim Sale's kind of 30s style pulp artwork. Yeah. Um, to just the world that they've created here because they the small town small town Iowa, I mean uh, Smallville is definitely um classic americana right here yeah. and, and the fact like they're eating turkey dinner at the end and there's yeah. even a, a little riff on a norman rockwell painting and when uh, he and peter are sitting at the at the soda bar there yeah. um like it's all superman is so much part of <clears throat> of classic american culture <clears throat> pardon me um and and this is the book tells yeah. you why he is part yeah. of Part of classic American culture and yeah. American culture has changed quite a bit in the last while. Yeah. Um, it's so different, and Superman has changed. I think to also reflect that. Yeah. Um, so this modern Superman we have now in the New Fifty Two is part of modern Americana. Yeah. Like it or not, like that's just kind of the oh, way absolutely, it works. absolutely. Like he's a he's he is the mirror <laughs> to hold up to society currently, and I think. Um, I think that's the thing that Dan DiDio doesn't understand, and I think that that's why he's not the right person to be running DC right now. I mean, from a financial standpoint, I'm pretty sure that they're doing really well, uh, and the new Fifty Two actually did work for them as a as a marketing and as yeah. a as a sales uh, initiative. It worked, and uh, and Convergence has just come to a close, and <laughs> the biggest thing coming out of Convergence is is. Well, I shouldn't say it because it might be a spoiler for people. Okay, don't but say I, it. I, uh, but Convergence it is very much being moved by marketing decisions as well, not by good storytelling. Yeah. Um, well, and, isn't that always the case? Marvel does the yes, same thing too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, but I, I, Superman for me always has been and always will be the ideal to strive for. So, um, yes, he is a, a, a very much a, a reflection of, of Americana um, and of that idealized version of, of Western culture. But I, he, I feel like he needs to stay that. Like, I feel like he needs to be that. There, there are opportunities to tell stories where he is not that. And, uh, like, we read... Red Sun. Red Sun, and that's a perfect example. Yep. And uh, I think that there are opportunities to tell stories where you can take the idea of Superman, flip it on its head, or do something different with it, 
um, and and allow that to then inform our opinion of Superman and of the world. But I think that Superman in continuity plays a very important role in the DC universe. And right now, he's just... He's not that character, and because he's not that character, they are just missing that character. There's, there is no greater good for, for the DC heroes to look up to in current DC comics because Superman is just as angry and edgy and dark as everybody else. I mean, he's basically Batman with different powers and different outfit. Uh, and, and that just, it just doesn't work for me. Like, that's not, that if I want to read a Batman story, I will read a Batman story. If I want to read a, a Green Arrow story, I'll read a Green Arrow story. I don't like that these characters are all basically the same thing uh, right now with DC. I, 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 and, and The Long Halloween is a, is a great example of, of Jeff Loeb understanding that character as well. Yeah. And, and I'm sure eventually we'll probably bring that in as a poll. Because that, that is one of the best noir stories uh that i think that's ever been written and i like i think that that's a that's a book that should be turned into a movie right right uh, but these movies that they they, they want to follow a continuity and they want you know everybody wants what marvel has which is uh, a cinematic <laughs> universe um, well long halloween has every batman villain in it there's no way they're gonna put well it, you couldn't I, you couldn't do, I don't you couldn't do the long halloween as a single movie but right. um but you could like there are long halloween elements in uh, in the Dark Knight trilogy, yeah, uh, and uh, and like I said, there are elements of Superman for all seasons in Man of Steel. Uh, certainly, the stronger elements in Man of Steel are taken from Superman for all seasons. Um, the things that I really connect with uh, are are definitely from for all seasons. But <laughs> Snyder also manages to fumble the ball with with the Pa Kent character and do some uh, do some <laughs> do some less good stuff if you want to see the best version of Pa Kent it is in Smallville I think John John Snyder is he's the best version of Jonathan Kent yeah. that's ever been realized uh, in my opinion but on fi- uh, in film you mean or just I just mean in general? I just mean in general because I, I like this like Pa he, Kent in here he is very good like I, he is very good in this but um, I just think that that the one in Smallville because we have so much more time with him there's so much more dimension to the character right um and, uh, and, and and he's just such an interesting portrayal of that character because he does it he manages on screen to hit all of the same notes that a character in in sort of a literary piece can hit which I think when you read something that is very much like it's got a panel that is a Norman Rockwell painting yeah that that you can have that character act a certain way and will be okay with it because within the context of this book he's allowed to right, right? Um, but the uh, but John Snyder in Smallville manages to bring a lot of those elements into a real world context, and so you can look at him and go, "That's where Superman gets it from, and that's what Superman can be, right?" Uh, that that sort of uh, even in the face of of you know a hardship, it might not be the easy decision. It's not the thing you want to do, but it's the right thing to do. So you're going to do it anyways, right? right? Um, that's the Superman that I want to see. Uh, and I, I do think that Man of Steel does do that. I, 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 I think that they're going to lose a little bit of that in this Batman v Superman thing. Cause 
it's not a story about Superman. It's going to be very much a story about the world's reaction to Superman and then Batman punching him. So <laughs> like that, that that's what the trailer is, is alluding to is that people either worship him as a God or are reviled by his very existence. Right. And Lex is going to come out of that. And that's fine. Like that is exactly where Lex should be. Right. And I, and I think that again, there's a lot of stuff from this book that is going to be, adapted into batman v superman and those characters but uh i just don't think it's going to be a focus on super it's not a superman movie we've been told that it's superman has a sequel down the road that's going to come out and that'll be a superman movie oh really yeah well i just i don't like the direction that they're taking it and and it's unfortunate that that it's all tied to man of steel because i do think that a good foundation was laid there for them to tell a really cool superman story as a follow-up but Instead, they're going to follow it up with Batman because Batman sells more tickets. It sure does. So, um, we don't need to. I don't need to rag on Batman anymore. <laughs> Let's talk about Tim Sale a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that the art, the, uh, the the colorist plays such an important role, and it's because Tim Sale is such a. He's an understated. He's so understated in his artwork. Yeah. Um. There are times when he's incredibly detailed, the folds in the clothes or the, the things he yeah. puts on shelves, but then he has panels, like two-page spreads, where there's barely any pencil work at all, and yeah, the sunset page yeah. is just a perfect example yeah. of that. At the and, end of spring. And then there's the other page where he's hugging his mom in, or is it his dad? Uh, yeah, hugging his dad in the cornfield, Yeah. and all of the action is down in one corner. And the rest of the field has to be is made up of by the colorist. Yeah. Um, putting in the colored leaves and everything like that. It's it's just uh, he. It's such a good and it's not. Uh, it looks like it's kind of watercolor maybe or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think so. I think it's watercolor. And it it's just really really great. The colorist is amazing. Yeah. The tones are a little bit muted, but the red in Superman's cape is always. And the and the uh, the yellow on the shield is always bright, vibrant red, but the rest of the world yeah. is um, is muted. So, so Superman really stands out in this world. Yeah, yeah, he's an icon, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, and one of the things that I love is when Superman flies, when he, you know he's flying at super speed, he's just a streak of red blue and yellow yeah and and uh most people forget the yellow and i think the yellow is really important um but yeah they, it tends to be like red on the outsides blue on the inside and then and then the very center is just that yellow streak yeah. of the shield and uh and you you get that sense of superman from it because he is those colors um yeah the the artwork is is definitely a very important part of telling this story because it does set the tone you were talking before about it being uh, uh very americana and that rockwell sort of uh, uh influence um and and it is and 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 i don't think that you'd be able to tell the story as it is without tim sale i think another artist whatever really hard time i mean like jim lee certainly couldn't couldn't evoke jim, the same feeling jim lee artwork with the with the same dialogue yeah it would have a completely different feel yeah. to it yeah um 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even even I mean like uh, another artist that I love that captures Superman for me is Ed McGinnis. Yeah. I think that he's he's done great work with Superman, um, and really capturing sort of like his power and strength and and sort of the majestic nature and the and the very cool pop. Uh, but he's Superman. a larger than life artist. He's yeah. very much um but, yeah, very would, weighty characters yeah. and kind of blocky and stuff. Yeah, and it would be a it would again be a very different comic. I really love this panel uh of Lex. Lex is feeding all of this information into uh into to this girl Jenny Vaughn. Uh sort of like uh, it's a clockwork orange yeah. uh, uh reference, I think. Um uh, of all these images of Superman being iconic and being being that great Superman that he is, and one of them, the one on the far left, is Action Actually, Comics number one, yeah. right? Like it's that first image of Superman, obviously uh, brought into into his classic look because that that original look is very different. But yeah, but again, another reference to classic Americana right there. Yep. I think. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, I I think every once in a while I I Superman's face is a little bit too small in his head. I uh, love it. It's like he's got this huge trunk of a neck that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, I I I both both uh, uh Tim Sale and Frank Quitely they uh, they love their small faces. Yeah, and they 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 both capture that I I that Superman that I love, Ed McGinnis gets it to a certain point, but he makes him more muscly. But uh, where Superman's a little bit more of like the barrel-chested, sort of uh, thick guy, yeah, yeah. right? Like he looks like a football player, right? He's kind of the not moves. like a Mister Universe type of character. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think what it does, what it ends up doing, is making Superman a little bit more approachable. Because he's almost got this childlike look to him. Because he almost he's and that's what sometimes when the face is a little bit too small, he just looks like a giant baby. Well, and but I think that's the point is he's yeah. got a baby face. Yeah, he's got that yeah. soft quality to him. Yeah. Um uh that makes him Superman. It makes him approachable. It makes him the the all American Yeah. Uh, look, like I said, he looks like a football star. And you contrast right? that to the way that Tim Seale draws a Batman, like a very long face yeah. with the scowl at the very, like his and mouth the, hangs and really low. And, yeah. And, yeah. The very gaunt face. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and just all in blackness. Whereas yeah. like Superman, when he draws him is this very open, like he's very, he's always these very open shapes, right? Yes. Um, the Cape is always billowing and, and out. It's never For like straight down. Yeah. And when he draws Batman, he tends to draw Batman. I like Batman every once in a while be doing, you know, his big scalloped cape entrance. But most of the time when Sale draws Batman, he draws that like column. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like he draws him as that line. And uh yeah. We should we should read the long Halloween. We should. Something. I'm inspired now to read more Jeff Loeb <laughs> and Tim Sale. Yeah. They're um, a good team. The other thing that Tim Sale does all the time is um <clears throat> He he leaves so much room in his panels, not so that the art the colorist can um, color, but just because Superman is such a big character and his world is so big, so yep. that the the each of these panels really evokes a sense of bigness and epicness. Um, he just leaves so much room uh, in in each of the panels for for us to feel like the city is huge and Superman is is such a big part in that whole thing. So. Yeah, good stuff all around. Awesome. 
Uh, well, I think that wraps it up. Yeah, let's talk about our month. polls for next yeah, month. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, I'll go first. My poll is a classic uh, Daredevil story by uh, Kevin Smith. Uh, it's Daredevil. Uh, Guardian Devil is the is the name of the trade paperback. It's actually uh, it's it's a volume one. So it's a, it's for anybody who's just watched the Netflix series uh, and wants a good jumping on point for the comics. I mean, like this is this is certainly from a while ago. I I try and see when it's from originally. Um, sixth printing, two thousand and five. So <laughs> so this is from a while back. But uh, I, but it is definitely a good jump into the modern incarnation of Daredevil, uh, I, and it is it's a Marvel Knights story, so it's a little bit darker, a little bit grittier. It is not your regular Marvel um, adventure comic book fair, um, and uh, and I, this is I believe from from the era when Daredevil had a movie with Ben Affleck because he does the introduction in my volume. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, which is interesting now that he's about to be Batman. But uh, this, uh, this is, this is a, a story I think that is very influential on the Netflix series. Um, this is when sort of that, uh, after people had a little while away from the, the, uh, the Frank Miller daredevil to come back and, uh, and, and flush him out a little bit more again, like another sort of, uh, reimagine not quite reimagining because obviously it's in the continuity but uh just sort of like let's look at daredevil again uh and see what the character is really about so this goes into some dark places there's some yeah. some uh, uh very edgy storytelling it is marvel knights so be forewarned it is not a bright colorful adventure but it is i think one of one of the better uh, and what's this volume volume called? It's called Guardian Devil. Guardian Devil. Okay. Yeah, Guardian Devil. Um, uh, yeah. So that's that's my pull. Good. Um, I'm pulling a book called The Cowboy Wally Show, and it's by Kyle Baker, who these days is kind of known for his work with Plastic Man. Um, but back in the '80s, he wrote a whole bunch of different graphic novels, and they were kind of influential in the in the alternative or underground scene. So it's all black and white. It's about this guy who, uh, Cowboy Wally, he kind of falls into uh, owning a TV network. And um, and he's just kind of a moron. So he doesn't really know what he's doing, but he spends all this money doing it. And so it's it's a funny book. It's a comedy, which I don't think we've actually read a funny book. I don't in know box here. So this is going to yeah. be new territory for us to talk about. Uh, it's told in three parts. One is an interview with him. And that's how you find out about his character. And then... There's another, um, the second story is kind of um, a 1930s style, um, like Humphrey Bogart kind of film. And cool. then the third one is uh, um, his take on Hamlet. So it's it's just bizarre. It's funny. It's hilarious. The artwork reminds me a lot of Tim Sale in a lot of the, the way he, okay, that yeah. Kyle Baker used to draw. He, he's way more cartoony these days. Um, but it's a... It's an important comic, I think, in just history, and it's uh, it's funny, as I'll get out to. So, cool. <laughs> there we go. And then our reader poll for this month. Who Who's pulling this one? Uh, this one comes from Carl German, and he uh, he recommended that we read Fables, uh, and he didn't really give us a specific volume, so we're just going to start at the beginning yep. with uh, Fables, Legends in Exile, which is volume one of that series, um, which the series is coming to a close, 
uh, I believe I believe the issue, the final issue, has already come out. Um, Is, did they? I read somewhere that the final issue was going to be like a trade paperback size it is so. but it's uh it is yeah and it's its own story it's like yeah. uh, there's a about midway through the series of fables there was a a, a book released called uh uh thousand and one arabian nights and it's yeah. it is a combination of comics prose and all sorts of stuff within it but uh so it's going to be a little bit more like that that's okay. what that's what the final the final uh, fables comic is going to be, but the the regular issues, the regular series run, I believe, has come to a close. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna start at the beginning. So for anybody who's been hearing all about this fables thing forever, uh, this is uh, this is the starting point. And um, uh, Curtis and I were talking about this before we started when we were deciding what the reader poll should be. Uh, people talk about the first volume as being kind of, oh, you know, it's it's all right, but it's really the second volume where it starts going. Uh, we're both in agreement that the first volume is fantastic. I was hooked from the beginning. So, yep. um, so hopefully everybody else will feel that way. Um, if you need uh, a contemporary uh, uh, analog to, to understand what this book is, if you've ever watched this TV series Once Upon a Time, <laughs> it is a far inferior version of Fables. Um, and right. it actually, it, I, they deny it, but uh, both ABC and, and uh, 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 what is it? It's Mark, uh, Mark Buckingham is the artist. Bill, uh, Bill Willingham. Willingham uh, uh, says that, that this isn't the case, but, but I'm pretty sure that the case is that ABC optioned the rights to Fables years ago years and years ago and it was in development as a tv series four or five years and nothing ever happened and then they went dark on it nobody said anything and then all of a sudden these rumors started like no it's finally happening it's finally happening and then this show once upon a time gets announced where we find out that it's about uh fairy tale characters storybook characters in a modern context but with a past that is tied to their original right. stories. I and and once upon a time, although being a funny, interesting show every once in a while, does not execute as well as Fables does. Because Fables, I uh, and I think this is where the disconnect was: is that Once Upon a Time is very much the Disney fairy tales, yeah, and then brought into the modern world. Uh, Fables is very much the original fairy tales and likes to play on that idea of these aren't disney fairy tales <laughs> they are much darker and yep. much more uh, uh cautionary tales and that sort of thing you so. won't see anna and elsa in these books no you won't you won't um yeah, yeah. so well, we'll get uh, into that more next yeah. month yeah uh but i'm uh very excited i uh, i think i think we've got a good i think we've got a good i hope so it'll, good I think it'll be slate good for next month but uh but that's it for this month. So thank you guys for sticking with us and, and listening along uh, and, and reading along with all of our books. Uh, of course, if you've got a book that you want to suggest, you can do that by sending in an email to the pullboxpodcast at gmail.com uh, with uh, the title and uh, just a brief description of, of why you think we should read it. Um, and, uh, and we will put that in our list and, and, uh, and fit that in somewhere. Uh, and uh, and I, th- I think we could use a few new suggestions uh yeah, so so great. we'll put that call out and say say send us in your your suggestions please 
I, of course, you can find our backlog of episodes and uh, and and uh, a bunch of reviews and everything over on pullboxpodcast.com, um, and where you can also find links to subscribe and everything. Uh, and and of course, you can check out thunderquack.com for all of the other great podcasts in the Thunderquack Podcast Network, as well as a link to our Patreon. Where I, uh, where you can, uh, I, I think one of the levels is to contribute, and then you can, uh, you can come on and talk about uh, a comic. You make us read a comic book and then talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, yeah we'd love um, to have you on the show. Yeah, so uh, so check that out at Patreon.com/slash/Thunderquack, and of course we are always thankful for all of the support from our Patreon patrons. Um, so thank you guys for that. But uh, we're all done. So thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you next month. Keep reading comics.